Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This month, our guest is Dr. David Levy. Uh, Dr. Levy is a uh, professor at the Information School at the University of Washington in Seattle. Welcome, David. David, are you there? Looks like we're having a little bit of technical difficulty. I'm going to try to get David on. Hello, Brian. I am here. Can you hear me? David, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. We had a little bit of technical difficulty there. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really glad to be here with you. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, uh, David is a professor at the information school. As I mentioned earlier, uh, he earned his PhD in computer science at Stanford University and a diploma in calligraphy and bookbinding from the Roehampton Institute in London. So to our faithful listeners, welcome back. And thank you for being part of our family of over 5,000 listeners every month. And to our new listeners, welcome. Glad to have you. Glad you've joined us. And so today we have David, who's here to talk to us a little bit. Um, I I mentioned to David offline that I had a lot that I wanted to, a lot of questions that I want to ask him about um, his work and um, particularly his book, Mindful uh, Mindful Tech, Finding Balance in Our Digital Lives, um, uh, published by Yale University Press. Um, but I, 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 the first thing when I read your, your biography, David, I was struck by um, the work that you, you did with Xerox and, and their famous lab. And then uh, I saw that you, you spent either a year or two at the calligraphy and bookbinding uh, school uh, in, in London. And I, I guess I would love if you could tell us just a little bit about how and what drove you to go from um, the the intense work of book by, in 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 the computer science to calligraphy and bookbinding? Tell us a little bit of the backstory in that. Sure, I'd I'd be happy to. I mean, I I got interested in computers at a very early age, uh, especially for, when I was growing up, and it made sense for me to go on to basically do a PhD in computer science. But I've always had another part of me that is interested, deeply interested in the liberal arts and in the deeper questions of philosophy and, and so on. And I, in some ways I found my PhD in computer science um, to be limiting. Um, it didn't exercise enough of my, my, whole, my whole self. And so um, I actually considered leaving the digital world altogether and had been interested in calligraphy since I was a child, um, and decided to, to go off to London to study calligraphy and bookbinding. What I now realize, which much all these years later, 30 plus years later, 
was that um, calligraphy was my first contemplative or mindfulness practice, that I'd mm. lived so much of my life in my head, and now I was really interested in bringing the body and the breath and the materiality of using quills and pens and all of that. And that, in a sense, sets up the, the dialogue that's been going on in my life for almost my entire life between the, the fast world of high-tech and outward achievement and the mm. slow world of craft and contemplation and inner development. Sure, sure. Fascinating. I, I think I identify a little bit with what you're saying. Um, some years ago, I decided to go away from the ballpoint pens, and I write with a fountain pen. And I remember, um, you know, very early on, uh, my aunt had bought me a calligraphy set and I, you know, and just as a young boy, I, I played around with it, never took it up. Um, but then when I was reintroduced to a fountain pen again, it made me slow down. And mm -hmm. that was the reason I decided. And so now I write with a fountain pen, but um, you know, it, it, you have to be deliberate in what you're writing and how you're holding it and how you're moving the pen in order to get uh, the product you want. And so I think I identify a little bit with what you, uh, what you're saying um, with that. So thanks for, for sharing that uh, with us. Um, I, I would like to jump right into uh, your book and there were just some pieces that I found really fascinating. And I, I, to the listeners, I do recommend, um, I know I got a lot of emails and, and um, uh, messages last month um, with uh, a lot of people reflecting on kind of the busyness of uh, our digital lives. Um, and I thought uh, it, it, this couldn't be better with timing to have uh, David on. Um, but there's, there's one um, section, actually uh, the first place, just starting from the beginning that I thought um, would be interesting to have you um, uh, explain or expand a little bit. Um, you ask a question and I thought it would be good for the audience to hear. You say, um, could we be, I'm sorry, could we better understand the causes of problems as well as possible solutions to them if we explored them through a contemplative lens? Um, say a little more about what you mean about this contemplative lens. Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, well, it relates to what we were just talking about briefly, which is what does it mean to slow down in order to be more present to whatever one is doing. Um, I mean, so much of our fast world life, um, those of us who are well-educated and have good jobs and so on, is about specifically about productivity. It's about getting things done. It's about outward forms of achievement. But when we slow down at those times when we, we, we get off some of the treadmill, we begin to realize that there are other aspects of our humanity and our lives that are really important. Uh, certainly our, our relationships with one another, um, or with our children, with our students, their relationships with us, the, the need to, to sort of feel more present and alive in the world, which is, I, which is what I kind of mean about a contemplative lens that, that is about slowing down, observing one's life and reflecting on it. And mm -hmm. so 
for me, the, the tension that I have lived with is, is the tension that, um, that I've been trying to work with students on um, in my teaching and also in my research, which is how can we all be productive and effective in a, a fast-charging world, but not simply be swallowed up by it so that more of our humanity is, is actually present. And that includes how do we use our digital devices and apps mm. in such ways that we're not simply frantically busy all the time and, and, and so that our, our habits aren't simply taking us away from that greater sense of, of aliveness and humanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and another moment uh, came to I think about uh, as you talk about humanity uh, specifically, um, as I read that um, and thought about contemplative, and 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 you you talked about being mindful of things like breathing and walking. Um, I mm-hmm. remember some years ago, um, I called it my um, my uh, stoplight moment. Um, earlier in my life, I I had a moment where I was. Uh, everything that I had been doing, I was doing quickly, you know, I was, you know, rushing to uh, become a full tenured professor. I rushed and did all just a lot of different things. And I, um, I thought about um, this moment where I was at a, um, a stoplight. I had just come back from dropping off my, uh, my kids at school. And usually when I'm at a stoplight, uh, what I'm looking at is the stoplight for the stoplight to tell me to go. And I, I don't pay attention to anything around, but just the stoplight. And this particular day, I paused for a moment and I looked around at the stoplight. And it was just amazing. Like it was that moment that I realized that I had been, it was kind of a metaphor for what I had been doing was um, going through life, waiting on the light to turn green and not looking around and seeing the things at the stoplight that was a part of humanity, a part of the journey, part of the process. And so when I, when I saw this, uh, it resonated with me again, because it was it, that you, you say, uh, pay attention to things like breathing and walking. Um, and you did that in classroom with your students. Um, how do you get and, and have you, uh, uh, manage to get your students to to uh, slow down in that way and become more mindful of those you know, kind of those simple moments, like I'm talking about the stoplight moment. Right. Well, the well, the course that I teach that's specifically about all of this, that's out of which came my book, Mindful Tech. The course is called Information and Contemplation, and. Basically, I that is an elective course. I'm not teaching. I'm teaching students who want to be learning some of these things. And so I interview every student. And by the way, my class is open to mass to uh, undergraduates, masters, and PhD students. I love having the mix of ages and um, ranges of experience. And so, so basically, every student knows who's coming into this course that they're going to be learning certain mindfulness practices like basic breathing. Uh, awareness of breathing and and mindful walking and so on and, and that's part of the reason they actually want want to be there, but they also know and and, and I think your your stoplight um, story is a great example. Um, I can relate to that so much because part of what we're we're doing in the course is we're saying okay if we can slow down and we can be more aware of our breath and our body and all that, 
can we also be aware of those, if you like, stoplight moments when we're online? So I'll give you an example. I mean, that very much parallels your, your example of the stoplight, which is what do you do when you're going to a website and the website is slow to load, right? Typically, a lot of what a lot of people will do is they'll either anxiously wait for that page to appear, like the, waiting for the stoplight to turn green, or they'll switch to some other task, right? Sure. But, what, but what if you actually pause at that moment, and notice what's actually going on in your mind and body at that very moment, and then you make a, then you make a more conscious decision about exactly what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, um, further in the book, I, I was just thinking about you know. So we you, you use the example there about when you're sitting at your at your um, your your computer, but then. In the book, you talk about this moment, I think it's in the first chapter, where there's a, there you observed a woman um, with a, a digital device, and she's walking, and she falls in a fountain, um, not paying attention, or, or it was a video. That was the one that was the video. You watched, and, That's right. and, That's right. and she was falling in the fountain. Um, tell us a little bit about what your kind of your analysis of of that for us is well uh, there a couple of things first of all there you know if 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 your listeners want to google woman falling in the fountain they'll find mul- multiple examples on youtube of people actually doing this right uh, and i'm not making fun of the, these people i mean it's it's kind of sad and embarrassing but but i think the larger frame for is that um, we have so much potentially calling to our attention all the time now, so many choices about what we, what we might do, in addition to paying attention to where we're walking, like all the things that are on our phone or who's texting us or what, what, whatever. But the human attention span and the human attentional ability has not grown. So more, more choices, but the same attentional capacity. So we're, the, the, the fundamental skill that we're needing to learn in in this digital era is how to make wise choices. And part of what I think a lot of us are doing is we're, we, we've just become habituated without consciousness, without mindfulness to certain strategies. And so, of course, I mean, look, I walk across campus at the, here at the University of Washington and see huge numbers of students walking on, on their phones, right? And that's just become kind of the normal normative um, behavior. But, but, but it's not until we actually step back from behavior like that and say, well, what would be a healthy and a wise thing to do in this moment, and, 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 and how would I decide what that is, um, that we can begin to have a conversation with ourselves, we can begin to have a conversation with our friends and our family, and we can begin, as I think we're beginning to do now, have a, a society-wide conversation about what constitutes wise attentional choices that's really that's the wonderful opportunity and no place better i think to be having exactly that kind of conversation than in our classrooms mhm mm-hmm. sure and and what about the the human relationship aspect of this that um so there's the personal that sounds like you you are talking about in terms of personal awareness and mindfulness, but then the connections to other human beings that happens um, when you are attentive 
um, let's say when you go out to um, you go out to dinner, and you know a lot of times I I, I walk through restaurants in in amazement and see people whether they are you know families or couples, um, and everyone is on their own um, digital device, um, and and even I think about I remember the first time um, I noticed in one of the the terminals at LaGuardia Airport in New York City, um, there's a restaurant and um, there are several um, tables, um, probably a dozen or more tables. Um, and at the table, there are two um, uh, tablets and they're facing um, the, the seats, but there are seats for two. And there's a place where people can get on tablets um, in you know, while they're waiting on their meal, but not engage with each other. Um, what do you what do you make of where we're going? Also with that, um, the human relationship component. Well, um, Brian, of course you're very right that another whole dimension of this is not just our relationship with ourselves, but our relationship with others. And of course, many people are now expressing concerns about whether, especially for for you know younger people who've grown up with these devices, whether they're developing the social skills necessary to really engage with with, with one another. Um, Sherry Turkle, the MIT psychologist, has written a lot about that in her two most recent books. Um, and I, of course, I, I share those same concerns. One of the things that I've I am increasingly talking about is the what you might call the ethics of attention. I mean, it, ethics in in the broadest sense is about how we relate to one another in the world, how we create a shared world that is safe and and responsible and and humane. And one of the great gifts that we give to one another, uh to our spouses, to our children, to our students is the gift of attention. So I think I think there's work for us to be to to do now to further educate people about the importance of attention as one of the great hum, human gifts. I, I do want to add one, one thing, though, in terms of the work that I'm actually doing, including in my book, which is, you know, we can make broad generalizations, and, and some of them are like what we're talking about now are very, very important. But a lot of the work that I'm doing with students is getting students to make their own discoveries. So I'm, I actually say to, to my students and, uh, and in the book, that I'm not the parental authority figure wagging my finger at people about when and whether they should be on their phones or whatever, but I'm actually in the classroom um, trying to create a safe and mindful and trusting space where people can come to their own realizations, which I think are much more powerful than trying to simply be told, you, you know, you, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. So, so I want to open up a space of choice and I want, I mean, and I think that the opportunities that we have in the classroom to educate people about the technologies um, are huge. And we've, we've barely begun to figure out how to do that. Yes, that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I, I, I think about um, students um, who don't have connections to other students and um, we see them. Um, and I think at at various stages of development, there's some you know the, from very very young to uh, you know kind of even post post graduation you know whether it's college or high school 
um, those connections aren't there, and and they're spending a lot of time with with digital technology. Um, you know, I, but you know, David, there there's so many distractions, and in fact, yeah, you 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 mention these distractions in your book. I think either in the second or the third chapter. You, I, I, I laughed out loud, honestly, when I read it, because I was like, that was me yesterday, today, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, when you talked about sitting at your desk, okay, I'm caught up, everything is all caught up, I'm ready to do some writing, I'm ready to do a few other things that are just on my own time. And then I say, I'm going to just check my email real quick. And that's like the phrase of death, right? Just, I'm going to check right, right. the email real quick. And then I'm going to get to what I wanted to do. And then, you know, it is, it's really nothing for me to sit down at my desk at, um, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. And if I'm not careful, I'll look up again and it's noon. Um, Mm -hmm. So what did you learn from, you know, your description of, you know, in terms of thinking about your own experience with that? It sounded like that happens to you um, as it does to me quite often. That's right. In fact, I, I often say I'm not the poster child for having figured all this stuff out. That would be, that's simply not true. I'm I'm working on this along with, with students. Um, but I think what what I've been coming to for myself, is the more that I can actually see what my current habits are. For example, oh, I'm going to start working on this paper, and then I'm oh no, I'll just check email, and then suddenly I'm gone for for you know on a on a on a joyride or. Uh, uh, through through email and uh, other things, or or for other people, it's you know cat videos on YouTube or whatever. Um, the more that I can see what my current habits and patterns are, and the more that I can see when they are not helpful, the more that I can begin to establish my own personal guidelines. So in mm-hmm. fact, if I'm sitting down to write a paper, and that's really and I'm clear by setting my intention, this is what I need to accomplish now then I, mm-hmm. I can see from prior experience that I may have to set up certain limitations or bound, set certain boundaries. Like I won't check email or I'll only check it, you know, in 20 minutes or something like that. But it's by seeing the places where I am led astray by my own habits and all the distractions around me that I can begin to build up a set of practices and guidelines and, and then begin to develop new habits. And that's something that I've been working on for many mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that uh, you know you point out that it 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 requires practice, right? Um, exactly. And I think that's what our last uh, our last month we talked about that as well. Is that you you it takes some time to to get there. What what advice do you have? Um, or I should say further advice because there this whole idea of finding balance. Is it that you, is there something that you would say about how people start this? You know, there's some people that can, that have benefit of someone to facilitate that uh, contemplation, um, like you, uh, in the form of a course, and others don't have benefit of that. Um, What do you suggest about where to start with that? Right. Well, of course, I'm I, I, I'm going to say that my book is available too. Um, but I think one of the most important things that I take away from all of this work, and I think this is true of mindfulness work and contemplative work in general, is that it goes much better if you're, you're actually able to do it with other people. You know, to get social support from other people. So, for example, to, if to find a friend um, 
who is also wanting to investigate his or her online habits and try to uh, uh, to um, you know to establish better 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 guidelines to be able be able to meet with somebody else and start really talking to that that other person about some of the stuff that you're struggling with and then so, um, so I. You, and and of course I that works for me and especially when in, in the classroom because what students are doing in the classroom is they're making their own discoveries, but and they're not just being held accountable to me they're actually in conversation every week with students other students who are making mm-hmm. their own discoveries. Um, mm-hmm. I think if we try to do all this work alone, that we're not going to as much as our intentions are good we probably won't have the strength of will, and or or the social support. Th- that, mm-hmm. that we need to do this kind of investigation. Interesting, interesting. Um, just in our final minutes, um, you know, I, 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 I'm glad that you mentioned the book, and I, I recommend it to strongly to those listening. Again, it's Mindful Tech, uh, Finding Balance in Our Digital Lives, author Dr. David Levy, and um, it's uh, published by Yale University Press. Um, available on um, as a part of the Amazon um, um, Kindle series as well. That's what I have is the uh, digital uh, e-version of the book. Um, but in our, our final minutes, um, what I just want to find out, um, I know um, you're at the information school, um, which sounds uh, fascinating. Um, um, could you tell us a little bit about what happens there? Um, and I think it's very interesting that this is your work and and you reside at a place that is the information school in, in the University of Washington. Tell us a little bit about what you what what uh, what your work is at the information school. Well, first, let me just say that the information there are now many information schools around the country, just like there are medical schools and business schools and law schools. There's a movement that's been going on for 20 years to create these interdisciplinary schools that look at the social and political and technical dimensions of our of our digital lives. Um, a lot of my work at the school has really been around exactly what we've been talking about, which how do we bring a contemplative lens? How do we bring mindfulness and contemplation into our use of, of, of digital um, tools and, and our online lives? And that includes some of my work has really been a hard look at the acceleration of life. Um, I feel that very strongly as, um, as it seems like there's less and less opportunity and time that students and, and faculty have so little time to think. In fact, some of my I have a new book that I'm working on, and I have a talk that I gave at Google called No Time to Think, which analyzes why it is that things are accelerating and how it's affecting our ability to really educate ourselves and and to have time to think. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Well, David, thanks again for for being with us. Um, This has been very informative and um, I, I know that the listeners got as much of, out of it um, as I did. Um, I want to um, invite everyone to uh, join us um, next week on the 27th as uh, Dr. L.A. Drago Severson uh, will be with us. Um, but again, David, thank you. And um, You're, you're very welcome. Yes, and so to our listeners, 
until next time, go well. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.